It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. We look at sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national topic. If it piques our interest, we've got a gambling segment and a segment of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic. It doesn't have to be sports. Go to Twitter, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick compiles them. You ask them. I try to answer them. And we do that at the end of the podcast. If you want to fast forward to that part, feel more than welcome to do so. we got a lot to get to. Bengals with an important stretch up coming. A big game on Monday night against Buffalo. Lots of college basketball. The college football playoff uh, coming up this weekend. So a whole lot to get to. Rick, let's get to it. Yeah, this is an underrated time of the year for sports fans. A really good stretch right now. Skinny, I always put you on the spot with these questions. We never really talk about them beforehand. This one might be a tough one because of that. So we'll see how it goes. But with it being the final show of 2022, I wanted to look ahead to the new year and make some predictions. I want to get your take on what you think will be the top three local sports storylines in 2023. Um. That's a good one. I, I, I think number one will be the Bengals in whatever shape or form you want to see how they come out of this this playoff run because they're going to the playoffs again. So, you know, if they fall short of the Super Bowl, they're still in the Super Bowl winning window. If they go back to the Super Bowl and lose, are we looking at another Buffalo Bills um, uh, stretch where they keep getting there and can't win it? If they win it, it's Oh, how many more can this team win? So I think that's number one is the Bengals in any way, shape or form you want to put them. What do you think the, the narrative is if they go to the first round and lose of the playoffs? I think it would be disappointing only because you're going to host a home game in all likelihood. I mean, they could fall to the wild card spot, but I, I, I do think at the very least they beat Baltimore in the final week and win this division. So I, I think at that point, I think that would be disappointing because you would have lost a, a home playoff game. I don't think it's disastrous because you're in that window where this is clearly now a playoff caliber roster for several years to come um, that you can hopefully even make better through a couple of drafts and and showing up a couple of spots. So I I think it would be disappointing, but I don't think it would be devastating because you're still in a a window of winning. And I, uh, I, I also think this team is good enough. It's not losing a home playoff game, in my opinion. I'm not saying this should happen, but if they did lose in the first round, do you think there would be some finger pointing at Zach Taylor from the national media. I guess the narrative would be how, how did that loss take place? Right. I mean, I, I think that's the thing for me. Um, you know, is it, does it, was it an unprepared loss? Was it, uh, um, I, I have to see how the game would play out to be quite frank. I, and I don't think that's, that's the case. Like, like I said, I, I think when you're in that going to the playoff window, you're going to have a stumble on a, on a year here and there. Um, you know, New England didn't go to the Super Bowl every year under Tom Brady, even though it felt like it. So they fell short a few times, too. So it happens. I, no, I, I don't think that's the case. I, I think this team winning winning double-digit games, going on this winning streak, going to the playoffs again, I, I don't think that would happen. I really don't. I would agree. All right, what's the second biggest storyline in 2023? That's a great one. I, only because they're the two biggest sports, them and the Reds. I think, honestly, it's Reds' attendance. How How low can it go? Oh, so I did. I actually left the Reds off. Just that is really the only storyline that I, I can see us bringing up much. I mean, I, I guess maybe if like Ellie De La Cruz was able to make it up to the big leagues and 
and caught fire or something, it could be interesting. But I can't see a scenario under which we have a red storyline that dominates the the headlines for a, a week or two in 2023. Yeah, that's probably a fair point. But I, yeah, I mean, they're the, they are still the two biggest sports entities in town. So I think if you're talking storylines that have mass appeal, the Reds in some way, shape, or form will have mass appeal. So my my number two would have been uh, my number one would have been same as you. My number two would be. Bengals contract negotiations for guys like okay. Higgins, Boyd, Reader, Awuzier, Williams, Wilson, Burrow. and of course Burrow's coming up. But that, <laughs> but that, I mean, that's a foregone conclusion that it's going to happen, right? There's no real decision to be made there. It's just how does it pan out? How much money does it cost you? How many years does he agree to? I mean, it's interesting, but it's not like I, I think some of these other guys are going to be real decisions coming up within the course of the next year as you, as you lead into that Burrow contract, right? Yeah, no, right, but but I. I I think the Burrow deal gets done this offseason. Fair enough. Yeah. And I mean, and that will be a big deal when it happens. No question. I mean, we'll be talking about that for a week or two. All right. What what would be your third biggest storyline? Yeah. And it, it doesn't have mass appeal because it's still niche. Anytime we talk about our college teams, we're talking about that niche. I mean, you know, Kentucky fans don't care about Xavier and Cincinnati. Xavier fans don't care about Kentucky, et cetera. But I do think, oh, I, I do think you see going into the Big 12, what's that going to look like? Yep. Are they overmatched? Are they in the right place at the right time? Is there some major roster building that has to be done? I, I'm, I'm just fascinated to see, are they a fit in the Big 12? It felt like they were going to be with Luke Fickle, and now I'm not quite so sure. Yeah, and I would even extend that to basketball, too, for UC, just both sides. What's it going to be like moving yeah, was, the athletics program into the Big 12? Are they, is it going to be a major stretch and, and a, uh, a hurdle that they have to overcome to get back to middle of the pack or top of the the conference, or is it right away? Are they going to be pretty competitive in both sports? Yeah, I was going to put basketball in there, but only because I don't even know if they play a conference game before the end of the year. No, oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> I would assume with everyone playing these big conference schedules yeah, now, right. like twenty games, you, you're you probably right. have to. But so, so we'll get a little feel for it. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was pretty good. I mean, two two of the three, I would have had exactly the same issue, and and the the second one, I mean, it's just. For me, it's hard to think of the red storyline other than what you said, which is attendance and how you know how much will we really talk about that. Yeah, if you wanted to go three storylines, honestly, it would probably be three Bengals storylines. Yeah. If you wanted to shake them down, to be quite frank. Oh, that's a really good point. They have completely taken over the local sports landscape in terms of interest. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Oh, with that said, let's get into some Bengals talk. They are... Still in first in the AFC North at 11-4 and four after a 22-18 win over the Patriots last Sunday. The Ravens sit a game behind them at 10-5 and five with two games left in the NFL regular season. The Bengals host the Bills this week for Monday Night Football prior to the Week 17 showdown with the Ravens in Cincinnati. And Skinny, we'll start this the way that we've started seemingly every Bengals segment for the last month or so with some injury questions. Uh, Lyle Collins was injured during last week's game, and while he passed the initial ACL exam on the field, there was a report that came out by Kelsey Conway of the Enquirer that an MRI might have revealed further damage in a season-ending injury. What's the latest on where things stand with Lyle Collins' injury now? It's funny. We're doing this on a Thursday morning, and usually we've had a Wednesday Zach Taylor press conference, but the week's pushed back, so we'll find out hopefully more today. I was I was a little surprised when we had – to had Zach at a press conference on Tuesday that he did not definitively declare Lyle Collins had a knee injury. Um, he said, we're still gathering information. So maybe they feel like an extra opinion is going to suddenly magically maybe make that just some kind of cartilage damage. I don't know. It was weird because I sit next to Kelsey in the press conference and she typed out a note to me during it that, and, and I kind of agree with her of, 
you know, why won't he confirm this? And I, I honestly don't have a good answer for that other than maybe they feel there's an outside shot that, that, um, it's not as bad as the MRI revealed. I don't know how that would be possible, but it was just odd to me that that was the case. But but isn't uh, that just what coaches do? They always want to act like there's some type of psychological well, edge in you not knowing. Now the only thing I will say is 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 on this, and I'm not poo pooing the report. I, I you know it, it 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 I I do believe it's true. But you know the initial reports on Trey Hendrickson, remember, were he's going to miss a few games and may not even be back for the playoffs. And and we I, I think. We, we talked to Zach on whatever day that was last Friday. We get him kind of informally on, on the last day of practice after practice, just a handful of, of reporters. And somebody said, you know, uh, we were just going down the injury list of guys. And we started with Trey. You know, there was a report on Trey. He goes, and Zach cut us short. And he was right. He goes, that wasn't our report. And he's right. You know, so maybe there is something to this that maybe it's not as bad as we think. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think we're going to find out today it probably is an ACL and he probably is going to have to have surgery and all those things. Teammates are talking in that vein. Um, but yeah, it was, it, I, I will say this, you know, we kind of scoffed at Zach with Trey Hendrickson because the reports were, and it was national reports of, uh, I think somebody even said he was going to miss the playoffs. Um, and lo and behold, none of that came to fruition. If the reports are correct and Lyle Collins is done for the season, did the Bengals get what they were looking for out of him when they signed him in the offseason? Um, I would say yes. Um, I was disappointed in the early returns of him not practicing, and then they started letting him have Wednesdays off, and it felt like that was that was that ended up being the right thing to do. He he never he wasn't around on Wednesdays. They gave him literally that day off to rest. Um you know, he had a balky back. I can't say that he didn't. He said he did. They say he did. I have to go with their word for it. And at the end of the day, I, I thought this was not going to go very well for Lyle Collins. And it actually went pretty darn good. Um, you know, it's disappointing that it ended the way it, it looks like it's going to end. But yeah, I think they did get what they wanted out of Lyle Collins. Yeah, I mean, the goal ultimately was to be back in this position. Right. Right. And, right. and they did get back in this position. And Joe Burrow did get hit less as the season went on and the offensive line did start playing better and became a positive for this team towards the end of the year. So was Lyle Collins the biggest reason for that? I tend to think probably not. I think some of the other additions might've been even bigger than him, but he has improved as the year has gone on and he's fit in on that line. Skinny, what are the Bengals playing for on Monday night now at this point? Yeah. Like in terms of standings and, and what's available to them still. Yes. Yeah, so so if you win on Monday night, um, it puts you in line to get the two seed at a, at, at a minimum if as long as you beat Baltimore, because you would have the tiebreaker advantage over Buffalo at that point. Um the Bengals to get the one seed have to win the last two games because then again they would beat Buffalo and own the tiebreaker over Buffalo and they need Kansas City to lose one of the final two games and now that Derek Carr is not going to be the quarterback in Las Vegas I, I thought possibly that last game where they have to go to Vegas they they host Denver this week Kansas City does that's pretty much a foregone conclusion that they're going to beat Denver um, they're they're probably going to beat Vegas anyway but the Derek Carr news now makes me go well that's probably not a possibility so I think what you're playing for is the two seed which strangely enough then would likely have you hosting Buffalo in the second round of the playoffs and then having to go to Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. So the road isn't easy. The one thing it does do is it does give you two home playoff games. The the If they're the two seed, they would play the, the seven seed, um, which right now is Miami. And um, then based on the way things go, if there's no upsets, they would then host Buffalo in, in the uh, divisional round. So um, you, there's still a lot to play for. You are still technically playing for the one seed, although you need some help for that one. You don't need help for the two seed. You control your destiny for that. 
not to change the subject, but isn't that Derek Carr news a little bit bizarre, given that he's just left well, the team now? Yeah, well, I the way I read it this morning was that was more or less um, if if he got hurt, he's he would be guaranteed because he'd still have to be on the roster. If he suffered some catastrophic injury, it comes to guaranteed money for next year. Basically, they're they're trying to have an out after this season, and so because of that, they've decided. Well, our chances of the playoffs are extremely limited now, if not gone. They still are mathematically alive, and I think at that point they said. We're not going to let this guy get hurt, and I'm going to guess that guy said, "Well, screw you, then I'm gone." And I don't, I, I honestly, I don't blame him. I don't, I don't blame them either. I mean, that's you, you got to look out for yourself as a team too, from a contract standpoint. I mean, you can't if a guy gets hurt and you're on the hook for a bunch of money. Well, then that's just stupid. Yeah, still, I mean, then them saying that, oh, he, he's he's left the team for the last two games because we wanted to avoid any type of distractions. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. No, yeah. No problem. Your starting quarterback leaving your franchise and abandoning you with two games left will definitely not create any distractions. Yeah. No. Exactly. Good call. Uh, Skinny, do you think this matchup on Monday night will have a big impact on the MVP race? Um, I'm going to say no because I do think Patrick Mahomes is the front runner, whether you like it or not. I mean, he just is, and and the Bengals or Bills don't impact that in any way, shape, or form. I honestly think it impacts the runner-up, although I could make a really strong case for Justin Jefferson as MVP. I mean, go look at that cat's numbers. They are stupid good. Well, it just stinks that it feels like no one really even gets consideration anymore if they're not a quarterback. No, you're right. You're right. It's stupid. It's the same thing with the Heisman in college. Well, I mean, I say that. I know we've had a couple of recent examples where that's not the case, but it feels like for the most part at both levels, it's mostly just a quarterback stats award, quarterback with the best stats award. Yeah, I would invite any. I mean, Justin Jefferson just statistically just pops off the screen at you to the point of you talk about a guy making a difference on a team. You take Justin Jefferson off the Vikings, and he's made so many winning plays for them, and the stats back it up that I would make a case for him over any of them. So, yeah, I don't think Monday – I think it does for the runner-up. I think the, I think the winner of Monday between Josh Allen and, and, and Joe Burrow probably winds up being the runner-up, A, because it's on a national stage, B, because they're already in that conversation. But, um, you know, unless Mahomes falls on his face, and I don't see that against Denver or, or the, the Raiders – then I, I think you're playing for second place. You're probably right. But I do think there is a little bit of recency bias in these awards and a bias towards, like you mentioned, these big national marquee matchups that everyone's watching and it's head to head like this. If either Allen or Burrow put on a crazy performance in this game and really just ball out heads and shoulders above the other one, I'm not saying they overtake Mahomes, but I do think it makes it more interesting. It could have an impact. And again, I'm with you. I think ultimately Mahomes probably ends up getting the award, but I think there's a possibility that this could be a springboard for Allen or or Burrow if they really have a crazy game. Yeah, it's possible. I just, yeah, I just, with Mahomes not being involved in these games and he's already kind of the guy now that's become the front runner, I just think it's hard to, to, to vault that guy. Skinny, what else? Anything else we're missing heading into this big matchup between the Bengals and Bills? I'm a little surprised you didn't buy into the Andrew Whitworth conversation and ask me about that. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) honestly, was this not one of the silliest things you've seen? No, it's funny. It it is silly and it's not silly because it popped into my mind, too. And then when you logically step back and go, okay, this would have had to be something that Andrew Whitworth was, A, preparing physically for the whole year of – just in case I'm going to be ready for it. Um, 
you know, the other part too is he still is his contract rights still belong to the Rams, so they'd have to get some compensation in return. The other part too is the Bengals really for one of the rare times, and we I've talked about this all the time when we get to free agency and people are always screaming about you got this much cap space left, and I always say no, you don't, no, you don't, you don't don't believe what you see on those things. The Bengals take some other things into accounting. They literally for one of the rare times are up against it cap wise. So yeah, this was not not going to happen. It, it was it was interesting to consider the storyline of it was would have been really cool of. Hey, he comes out of retirement and, and helps the Bengals to a Super Bowl after leading the other team to a Super Bowl, and now he can put a complete bow on on his career. It, no, it was not going to happen. It's it's a cute story to make to make up and to bring up and for people to converse about for a day or two. But when you logically step back and look at it, you go, "That's not that was never going to happen." Well, it, it, first of all, it's kind of disrespectful to NFL players and the level you have to be at to yes. think that. A guy at Andrew Whitworth's age and being out of the game at this point would be a better option than multiple guys who are already on the team well, currently working. I mean, it's not like they don't have any other backup linemen. They aren't right. down to pulling someone off the scrap heap at this point. They have legitimate backups still. Yeah, and that, that was my point. I mean, this would literally have to be something that he was preparing every week for physically for whatever that moment would be that maybe a team calls him off the street. And I just don't see that. I mean, he looks like he's lost weight, which a lot of linemen do after and after their career. Joe Thomas looks like a normal human being after, you know, being one of the best left tackles in the NFL for a long time. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that go in, into that. And he would literally have to be physically preparing like he was going to play every single week. And and now we're we're four or five months past training camp into this that he wasn't doing that. So no, this was it, again. It was cute to bring up. It was cute to discuss. But people who took it serious were nuts. Well, the other thing that I think people are overlooking a bit is there is not exactly a strong link between this staff or even this current team and its personnel and the previous regimes. Well, the, the, the only thing I'd say is, the, you know, Zach was in L.A. when Witt was in L.A. Well, sure. But I mean, again, it's not like he's bringing Witt back to the old guard and a no. group of Witt's no. leaders and buddies that were well, in that right. locker room. It's all changed since then. And it was changed pretty intentionally, too. I'm not so sure, you know, how how excited Witt would be about that opportunity at this point or how much this current staff wants to do something like that and, and bring, look, like I don't know that they have a big connection to a guy like Andrew Whitworth and are excited about bringing him back and him trolling it as well the fanning of the five I, I never say never I mean yeah oh, all right guy I get you that's funny yeah all right let's switch gears to college basketball we had a pair of big games in the area last night and then a couple of more coming up as we head into the weekend uh, we'll start with the Xavier win over St. John's the Musketeers beat the Red Storm 84 to 79 at Carneseca Arena and skinny. The last two games for Xavier, both the 73 70 win over Seton Hall and this game right here, maybe a little bit closer than you'd like them to be, especially where they finished up at compared to where they were at different points. Xavier had a 16 point lead in the first half of this one. They had an 18 point lead at one point in the second half of this one prior to having to to kind of scratch and claw at the end to, to hold off St. John's. Do you feel pretty good about the way things have gone in this three and O start for Xavier and Biggie's play? I, I do. And, and, and yes, it is, you know, against St. John's Seton hall and, and Georgetown. Um, and that's not exactly murderer's row this year inside the no. league, but that said, two of those are on the road. And I think in any conference you're in, 
I'm not apologizing for any road win. I'm just not. I mean, it, it's hard to win on the road in conference play. Now you've, now you've gotten two of them. And it's better to beat these two than lose to these two on the road. Um, and I think for this team, the one thing that, that's the main positive is they, they can score in so many different ways. Problem is they're not great defensively. So guess what's going to happen? They are going to surge to 12, 14, 16 point leads. And those leads are going to melt away because they're not very deep and they don't guard very well. And they're kind of in that we're going to outscore you mode. And I think most nights they're good enough to do that. Well, and you brought up the lack of depth. And I think specifically in this St. John's matchup, that was a big key because St. John's offensively, they play at the fastest pace in the entire country. And they are just going to run at you all game. And their goal is to tire you out. And you even heard this was an all-access broadcast for FS1, meaning yep. the coaches were mic'd up, the broadcasters basically stepped out of the way, there were no commercials, and you just got to listen to a constant feed of the two coaches coaching their teams and going back and forth. And something that Mike Anderson said at halftime of this game was talking about they're going to wear down. You know, Sule Boom, their point guard, played 20 minutes here in the first half. He's not going to be able to play at the same pace for another 20 minutes. That is what they are trying to do. And Xavier got sloppy as the game went on from that, like eight or under that eight media timeout. After that, it got a little bit close at times and they weren't as good as they had been for a lot of the game, but they also made the plays to hold St. John's off. And they're, you know, they made the free throws down the stretch. Sule boom was six of six at the free throw line. And you had Zach Freeman all knocked down a big three point shot with about four minutes to go that took it from a seven point lead to a 10 point lead again, and kind of settled Xavier in and, and put them in control the rest of the way. So I think in both the Seton hall game and this game, you saw them find ways to overcome those late game runs. And it's something that going back to last year, they really struggled with when it started to snowball on them late in games, they couldn't seem to get back on the right track and find a way to win those games. So well, Rick, like you said, it's, it's not murder's it's, row, but it's it's better than the alternative. Yeah, and it's kind of a string of games like that, right? The UC game lead melted away. Um, yeah. The Georgetown game, they had big leads that, that got punched into. And I, I just think I think it is a, a thing of, of depth and they just don't guard very well. And so you're just going to have to live with that. You just hope they built a big enough lead and that they're able to execute and crunch time. And for the most part, they've been able to do that. Yeah, I thought the UC game and the Georgetown game it was a lot more about their defense. Yes, I'll agree with that. In this game, I thought it was a lot more about them wearing down a bit. Because if you go to what cost them and where St. John's made their runs, it was a lot more due to Xavier getting sloppy on offense and committing turnovers that led to easy runouts for St. John's. St. John's had nine steals that led to easy transition layups or dunks. And they that's have to have that because they, they don't shoot it well at all. Right, exactly. I mean, that's how they play. But if you take away 18 points over nine possessions and then you do the points per possession math for Xavier, right. you know, they were at like 0.82 or 0.87 or something like that for the game without those uh, runouts for dunks and layups. So that's pretty good defensively, especially for the Xavier team. So again, that's where I go back to more. It was about them wearing down. But what do you think? On Saturday, big-time matchup, they have number two UConn coming to the Cintas Center. The Cintas Center will be rocking even yes, without the students there. Um, do you think this is – I mean, this is going to be a great test. Do you think Xavier can match up with the number two team in the country? I do, especially at home. And, again, because they can score. And I think that's that's the thing. I, I, I don't know – I don't see a game where Xavier's going to get shut down offensively across the board. Um, I mean, even the Duke game – 
I think that was just more ineptitude of the two bigs that day than anything else, and that may happen again. Now, that said, UConn is really, really good, and the the, the number two ranking is, is more than justified. They pass the eyeball test, but man, you know, like I said, you, you're, you're kind of on a roll. You're feeling good about stacking wins. They're not aesthetically pleasing maybe to fans, but you're 3-0 and with a little momentum behind your side for an early home conference game against the number two team in the country. That's a great opportunity. Yeah. You're right. UConn does pass the the eyeball test. They, it just seems like they do everything well at this point. They yeah. shoot the ball well. They defend the, the perimeter well. They've got the big men and, and some depth in the post, too. So, yeah, they, they are impressive. That's going to be a great measuring stick for the Xavier team to see where they're at. But the way their offense has traveled now, that was something that, that stood out to me after this game, too. It's been even you go to Portland for the PK 85, you look at the UC game, which how much of a road trip is that you can decide so, on your own, but it's court. It, exactly. And then these, the Georgetown and, and the St. John's game. Now they have been able to score in pretty much all of those games, except for the Duke game. Yeah. That you I, mentioned, I, take, so. I, I take that as a one-off. I, I just, I do. And then the other big game locally was the Kentucky, Missouri game. The Wildcats went to Missouri to play. Former Cleveland State coach Dennis Gates and his Tigers team, and they got stomped 89-75, the final score in a game that was never really close. Skinny, what was your takeaway from this? Uh, another brutal game for Kentucky fans to watch. I don't know. I don't know if this team makes a tournament. I it's really don't. feeling that way. I mean, they are a real mess right now, and they look like they have zero confidence. Zero confidence. Um, in in non-buy games, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I think I'm right on this. In non-buy games, they're one in four. The one win was over Michigan. The loss yesterday, the losses to Gonzaga, uh, Michigan State, and I'm drawing a blank on the other law, UCLA. Uh, and, and some of those, you know, that's fine. You know, Gonzaga's really good. Um, UCLA's really good. Michigan State's probably a tournament team. So you know, I, I can live with some of that. But it just feels like it, against any team that's not a buy win, they're going to be in trouble. And I, I was looking at the conference record, I mean, the conference schedule, and I started just adding up, trying to be fair. I mean, I see seven, eight, nine losses possibly still inside the league. And they still have to play Kansas. Well, and you look at this team. And I'm not sure they beat Louisville. Yeah, I am sure they <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yes, they will. They will get right on Saturday. I'm sorry. Yeah. In the, the battle I, I, lost my mind. I lost my mind for a minute there. Sorry. You did, but it's it's a real point that you were making and it kind of it can be tough especially after those first three losses because the Gonzaga and UCLA losses you're not really gonna dock anyone too much for those the Michigan State loss isn't great but it's so early in the season it was a double overtime game hard-fought matchup fun college basketball game you kind of had some weird miscues late where you're going oh what that was weird what happened there was it young guys making mistakes or what have you Shouldn't have happened, but you lose the game, whatever. You can kind of explain away those things, especially when you look at Ken Palm and their top 25 in offense, top 20 in defensive efficiency. You know, maybe this team is better than we think, but you're right. Every time they play a decent team, they look lost out there. And I mean, I get that Kellen Grady is gone and Keon Brooks is gone, but especially when you're returning the national player of the year, you just wouldn't think there would be such a fall like this Kentucky team has experienced and such a drop off from last season to this season. I know some people are going to say, oh, what are you talking about? They lost to St. Peter's in the first. Yeah, go back and look at last year, some of the wins they had. 
they were a pretty good team last year. They had some blowout win. I mean, they they, they stomped North Carolina. Stomped Kansas. They smacked Kansas. They smacked Tennessee, who was top 10 in the country at the time. I mean, th- this team had some big wins last year. It's It looked nothing like this team does currently in the regular season. No, I I, I think it is. A, a, I mean, C.J. Frederick plays with no confidence. Reeves plays with no confidence. Jacob Toppin is a mess who thought he was a jump shooter and never was, and now he, you know, he's trying to work his way into the NBA. He can't even work his way off the bench at the moment. You just have, again, a weirdly constructed roster um, and, and arguably a coach who's fallen behind the times. And, and you know, there, there's a great picture. Somebody captured a still shot of, of towards the end of the game um, from, the, from TV of Cal on the bench with a bewildered look two assistants looking at a stat sheet and two other assistants literally looking bug-eyed like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> and then I started looking at the assistants. I'm like, Orlando Antigua was terrible. Bruiser Flint's terrible. I don't even know who the other two guys are, so they don't matter to me. I mean, the other part is Cal doesn't have a very good staff. Well, it's certainly not a staff that's challenged him a whole lot and, and making him progress or change things or bring his offense to a more updated status. Uh, the, the lineup right now, the fact that they're starting – Ware and Shibway together makes absolutely no sense to me. They're just not it getting it, it, nearly it, it, listen, enough from Ware. It, it, it worked for Joe B. Hall in 1978, damn it, with the twin towers of Rick Roby and Mike Phillips. It worked then. I just don't get it. It I worked mean, for Joe B. Hall when he had Melvin Turpin and Sam Bowie and they went to the final four. You know, the other thing that we might be missing here a little bit is Oscar Shibway is a flawed star. Yes, he is. Very and That's I think we, we looked at him coming into the year as you got the returning national player of the year, things are going to be fine. But in reality, teams are starting to expose him more and more. And there's just not the teammates around him to make up for some of these things, especially on the defensive end right now. Yeah, no, agreed. I think I think I don't have it in front of me again. I think. His plus minus last night was minus 14, and that's not always indicative of a player. But again, that's still not a very good stat for a national player of the year. No, and don't get me wrong. I mean, he had 23 points and 19 rebounds yes. last night. He's not the issue in no. and of himself, you, certainly. You, you use two good words because he is a star because he is the defending. He is the reigning national player of the year, but he's also flawed. And I think that's the point. He's a flawed star. Yeah, he's not covering up for a lot of the other mistakes that are taking place. And in some regards, relying on him as much as they do might be part of what's holding them back a little bit in terms of their old school approach on the offensive end. Rick, their second best win is arguably a 10 point win over Yale at home in which Oscar had 28, I think 20 in the second half. Cause he was the biggest, baddest guy on the floor. And I made the point after that game, um, maybe on this podcast may have been on another radio interview. I did. They all, everything runs together after a while. And I said, that's all well and good that you used him in that fashion because he was the biggest, baddest guy on the floor. But guess what? Once you get into sec play and with Kansas still ahead on the schedule, et cetera, that ain't going to be the case every night. You know, he's going to get his because he's going to get some hustle points, but he can't dominate great opponents because it's just he's a flawed star. You're right. Well, also, how many times have some of these SEC teams seen him right at this point? They know what he's going to do. They know how you're going to try to use them. It's just getting exposed a little bit to some extent well, and, 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 and having no and having no help to bail him out. As you mentioned, it would be nice if Reeves could consistently make shots. If CJ Frederick could consistently make shots. Um it would be it would be nice if Severe Wheeler wasn't just so damn ball dominant. And and honestly, you look at the stats the other night; it looks pretty good. A little point guard had eight assists. He he bogs them down. He does. And and Kaysen Wallace is becoming the guy for them on the perimeter. Put I the think ball, put the ball in his hands and get the hell out of the way. 
I think that's what you have to do because he's starting to make some shots from the outside. He's playing with a little bit of confidence, but I mean, even he, I, I, he got in foul trouble in this game against Missouri and, and had to miss a, a decent portion of the first half. So, you know, they, they, they can't seem to get anything on the right track for them. Every time something starts going well, it, it seems like it, it falls apart on them. So we'll see what happens. We, we mentioned Saturday, they host Louisville at noon. That should be no problem. You would think I, that's think, gotta but, be a 20 here, point. But win. here's what I feel. Here's what I feel about that game. I'm with you. They're not, they're not losing to Louisville at home. They're just not, but, but I can just sense Louisville hits maybe two threes early and it's six to two. And I've been in Rupp arena, even, even when, when t- people weren't doubting, like they're doubting right now. And the squirmy factor is just, it's tight sphincters boy. Yes. It's so real. And I can just feel something like that. And it turns into just an ugly game that Kentucky is simply far superior talent wise. They end up winning by 10, 12 points, but it's an ugly 10, 12 points. And it doesn't make you feel any better. That is going to be nasty. If it's coming down the stretch and a single digits game on Saturday, it'll be squirmy. The, 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 the boo birds could come out too in this. That's the goofy part. Even though it's the rival and you want to get behind the guys, I think the fan base right now is so anti Cal that it's just had enough. And you better, you better have, you better, you better put your big boy, boy pants on for this game if you're Cal because it is going to be squirm factor central. I want to follow that up because we got an ask any anything about Cal that it's okay. appropriate to bring up now. But uh, one tweet I did want to get to that I saw last night was this is Kentucky men's basketball's 90th season of playing in the SEC. Tonight is their largest ever halftime deficit in an SEC opener. Twelve wow. points. They were down 12 at halftime. It's the largest they had ever been down in an SEC opener. That's crazy. That's just a weird stat, but I thought it was worth bringing up. Yeah, no, it is. That's that's crazy. All right. The question we got for Ask Kitty Anything was, what the hell has happened to John Calipari? I've never seen a coach lose his touch this quickly and completely. Do you think that's the case? Do you think Cal has just weirdly fallen off somehow? Or I, I think there's a multitude of factors. Number one, I think NIL, right? I mean, back in the day when he could get any player he wanted, and we can argue how he got those, and we can turn our back to how he got those, but he got them. Well, now the level, the playing field's level a little bit with that kind of stuff. Um, and now he's got a great recruiting class for next year. And that's all well and good. But I, I, I do wonder if he's got that contract, Rick. And, and I know there's competitive fire and all those things that people can talk about. But when you have the kind of job security because of that contract he does, do you really have that kind of fire? And I'll be honest, I think losing John Robick's been a big deal off of the staff. Well, the other thing I worry about with the big contract is Cal is a stubborn guy and that type of security really allows him to dig in and be more stubborn. Yes, because you got all the leverage now. You got all the leverage. And he kind of he has this weird thing where he seems to want to push back and fight with the fan base so much and almost makes decisions sometimes that it seems to be like he's doing it to spite the fan base. And with some of his comments in postgame, and maybe that's not what's going on. Maybe he's just being snarky in his postgame comments, but that's not a good route either. He was so good in the past at being the politician and finding a way to to make everything a spin zone and sound good for Kentucky. And he's not only lost his touch on the court, but he's completely lost his touch at spinning these things and keeping the fan base on his side. I mean, Rick, I mentioned they're trending towards not making the tournament. If they don't, you're not going on to a fifth season without having won an NCAA tournament game. That gets coaches. That got Billy Gillespie fired after two years, how the, the route that thing was going. True. And the real problem I see for Kentucky fans is I don't know 
where they go next. I don't know how don't this either. thing gets better. I do, it feels like they're just stuck in the cycle because I don't think realistically you're firing Cal or you should be moving on from Cal right now. But I also don't know what changes things. What makes Cal decide to do things differently? And, and is this ever going to work again? Or are you kind of just stuck in this perpetual cycle of getting highly rated guys that aren't really quite good enough to do anything? Or don't fit together. And don't fit together. Exactly right. You know, you can argue back in the in the you know that first class of John Wall in that group. I mean, that that group fit, right? I mean, you you had Patrick Patterson that was a four, a stretch four, and it was perfect. He fit into the and Wall was the point guard, and Bledsoe was a secondary point guard, but a perfect perfect running. I mean, he had roster construction. Now it just feels like now he's just grabbing whatever players he can grab. Roster construction, be damned. It does have a a bit of a feel like that to it. One other question we got to wrap this up, Skinny was who is out there that would appease Kentucky fans if they were to move on from John Calipari? And there are a lot of Kentucky fans that are clamoring for this. And I don't think at this point it's just insane Kentucky fans being crazy and and being silly. I think there is a legitimate reason to be very frustrated with what's going on and be concerned about how it ever gets better under Cal. Well, I think the frustration is because you know that that the stupid athletic director has no leverage because of that contract. That's where I think the frustration lies. Um, and that's fair. How do you move on from this guy when the buyout is so much you can't pay the buyout and and things aren't getting better? Right. Let's say Cal says next, you know, after this year, Mr. Terme says I'm going to step Rick, down. Do, just to cut you off, I I do think if he says it on his own, it will be after next year just because of the recruiting class he has constructed for next year. There you go. So let's say after next year, he says, I'm going to step down. Who would appease Kentucky fans? Is there a name out there that you can think of right now that Kentucky could hire and people would feel good about? That's a great question. I, honestly, I, I off the top of my head, the, the ones you would come up with are aging, right? The Mark Fuse of the world. And and does he want this? This like, he, There's no way he does it. At this right. Point. No, I'm just I'm bringing up names of, of sure. guys that you look and go that guy. or th-. Brad and Stevens not, I mean, would be the next name that everyone would want yeah. to go to. And I don't think that's realistic. Uh, unless he's got a Jones to coach again. Yeah, I mean, it it have to be the right. And there have been people who have brought that up in the past that say, oh, that that's the job he would come back for. But he didn't come back for Indiana. But and yeah, everyone look, thought look at, that was the job. He really look at the look at a couple of the blue bloods that, that, that have hired. They've hired um, they've hired, you know, Hubert Davis and John Shire, guys that were a North Carolina guy and a Duke guy, but not household names. Didn't have head coaching experience. There's really nobody around the Kentucky program like that right now. Do you go back to the Billy Donovan route? Another aging guy like you were talking about? I would I would certainly I, I would think seriously about that. Billy is probably how old is Billy now? 58, 59? Yeah, he might even be a little bit younger because he's younger than me. He's probably 57. Billy Donovan is 57. You're correct. Yeah, he was born okay, in 65. 57. Yeah. If you could get Billy Donovan and tell me you're gonna get a decade's worth of Billy Donovan, I think I'd sign up for that. I think I'd have to say yes to that too. Now I have no idea. I think Billy's, Donovan would Billy, want Billy's that. arguably he's one of I just having covered the SEC and all of that, and and he is just an out. He's such a good coach; it's absurd. Yeah. Now I have no idea if that's a realistic option, but it would seem more realistic than Brad Stevens to me. Yeah, the Brad Stevens one's interesting because um, you can pay top dollar, but he's probably making close to close. He's to an 10, NBA GM. Yeah, as I'm saying, he's probably making close to ten mil doing that, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. I mean, money isn't the issue. Money is not what he's coming I mean, back for. And, and trust me, as a coach, I, I you know we all steal stuff. I, I'm a big Brad Stevens 
stealer of drills guy. So trust me, I tell you how much of it, I think of him as a coach. Um, oh, he's by far the best option if you could get him. But is he jonesing to coach again or, or is he in that role now where he's he really enjoys being? You know, some guys have that jones to coach again um, and some guys get to the GM role and go, no, nah, I this is I like this. And maybe he does. Maybe it's, you know, he doesn't have to, the anxiety of the day in, day out, winning and losing. It's I'm going to construct a roster. I know how to construct a roster and I'm going to let somebody else do the coaching. And maybe he's satisfied doing that. So I, I go back to only if he has a Jones to coach again, would be he'd be the viable option. But I think you make that phone call for sure. Well, well by the way, Skinny, if he wants to coach again, he can do that in the NBA. People would still love to have him in the no, NBA. No, he no walked doubt. away from that. No doubt. So, I mean, it's not like he has to even come back to college if he does. So, I I find that hard to believe that he would do it. But maybe, maybe there's some strange world in which he really wants to come back to college basketball. And for whatever reason, he just thought IU was too toxic at this point to do it at. And so, he passed up on that opportunity, and now he would want Kentucky. I don't know. But that just seems like a total pipe dream. Yeah, IU is that we've talked about it it used to be the blue blood that's not anymore. At what stage does Kentucky become that? No, that's scary to think. I mean, they're they're a far cry from what IU is. They I are. Think, they are. It's an but interesting if, point. But if you whiff on the next tire, holy cow! Yeah, and Cal has not been a whiff. To be fair, he's not been a whiff, but he's been a whiff the last five years. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. All right, uh, we are recording this on Thursday morning. That we got a couple more local games tonight. NKU will play Wright State in a big rivalry game. That game is at Truist Arena in Highland Heights, Kentucky, and Cincinnati will play Tulane tonight as well in some AAC action. You're missing the big game of the night, though. What's that? Miami playing St. Mary's of the Woods. I'm trying to figure out where that is. It's apparently in the woods it's, somewhere. It's in the wood. I mean, it says it right there in the name. How hard does it is the woods? Come on, you know. That's that's a nice resume. You're gonna have a win over Goshen, Calumet, and St. Mary's of the Woods. Pat yourselves on the back. Yeah, you just went over the river and through the woods to get to grandmother's house for the holidays. How yeah, maybe they forget? just stayed in the woods and they found St. Mary's to play. Yeah. All right, Skitty, let's get into our betting segment where we both went two and zero last week. How about right. that? Bengals and under for the win. That's been a hot ticket if you've been riding that train the last several weeks. Uh, you can parlay them together. It's been it's been money. So I'm at fifty three forty seven and one. You're at 47, 53 and one. But the good news is we have eight picks on this week's slate due to the college football bowl game. So you can make it all up right here. Fire away, baby. Also, betting opens in Ohio on Sunday, January 1st. So we are also going to do a little betting intro for some newbies. We got a couple of requests to do that, not just this week, but in weeks past. I said, yeah, we'll save it for the the week before it goes live and we'll give you a little bit. So at the end, after we make our picks, we'll give you a quick little breakdown here, but we'll start Saturday at noon. It's Iowa and Kentucky in a bowl game that nobody wants to see at this point with all the opt-outs. Iowa is a two-point favorite. Kentucky, or The total is 31. All right, so Iowa's on its third-string quarterback. There's rumblings Kentucky's going to play three different quarter, quarterbacks. There's no Chris Rodriguez. Iowa's had some opt-outs at receiver, too. That was already a bad offense that that has lost most of its skill people other than its running back. Both defenses are really good. So I'm going to go Kentucky three, Iowa nothing. They kick a field goal with 13 seconds to go, the unlucky number to win three nothing. That's amazing because I thought I was being the smart-ass when I picked 10 to 9 Kentucky. <laughs> Uh, you outdid me three, nothing Kentucky. So we're both on Kentucky and the under here as yes. the underdog, uh, maybe even a money line. Pick. Yes. 
All right, Saturday at 4 p.m., we've got TCU and Michigan playing in the first college football playoff game. Michigan is a seven and a half point favorite. The total is 58 and a half. I love the little plucky TCUs and, and God love them for making it there and the, some of the crazy wins they've had. And it's, it's a great story, but I just think Michigan steamrolls them. I think they run the ball for how many ever yards they want to run it for. I'll, I'll go, I'll go Michigan, Michigan 38, 18. All right. So that is Michigan and just under, right? Yeah. You'd be yep. at 56. So Michigan and the under for you. I'm actually on the same train there as well. I'd be a little bit lower scoring here. I think Michigan's going to get out to the big lead. TCU is going to be a little bit shell-shocked, and then Michigan's kind of just going to sit on the ball with that running game. So I'm going to go 31-21 Michigan and the under for me. I really like the under in that game for the reason that I just laid out. Saturday at 8 p.m., we've got the second college football playoff game. It's Ohio State and Georgia. Georgia is a six and a half point favorite. The total is 62 and a half. God, the six and a half scares the daylights out of me. I want to take Ohio State, and I think I'm going to just because the, the last lingering memory I have of Georgia, and you could argue the same for Ohio State, but is of LSU just throwing for almost 500 yards against them. That, that just bothers me. And I know that the, the Ohio State loss to Michigan doesn't bother me as much just because it was a close game in the fourth quarter. And then they kind of just, it was a letdown and they gave up two long touchdown runs. So you can look at the yards and go, well, Georgia's going to run it down their throat. And they might. I, I just think Ohio State offensively will will be able to keep up in this game. I think it's got track meat written all over it. Um, I, I'll go, I'll go Georgia 41-38. Ohio State covers, falls short, and the over. All right. So we are pretty similar in score here, but the difference is meaningful. I agree with you. I think this is going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be a really fun game to watch. I think what I'd probably like to do, because it would be more fun to root for Ohio State in this game, is take it up to seven. I, that's and, probably what I will do. I will probably take it to seven and a half and feel – that's why I said the six and a half just scares me. Yeah. As a better, Even though I just picked a three-point difference, um, that sounds like I got a lot of confidence in Ohio State. I'd, I'd have a ton of confidence if I'm getting a point in the hook. Yeah, I'd feel great about the backdoor cover in that situation. Yes. Yeah, um, even, yeah, right. Even down 14, you're like, all right. Ohio gonna, State will throw in a late touchdown. Yeah, correct. I, yeah, yeah, yes. So I, I I really like that. And that's actually probably how I'm going to play this game. It personally is the Ohio State by seven uh, and look for that. But as it stands right there here in our pick I'm going to go with Georgia to cover this. I'm going to say Georgia 42, Ohio State 35. So Georgia in the over for me. And then finally, our Monday night game, the big NFL showdown here in town. The Bills come to Paycor Stadium. They're a one-point favorite. It was two earlier in the week. It's dropped down to one now. 49.5 is the total. The Bills ran the ball really well against Chicago, thanks to Devin Singletary popping a couple, and they've, they've, they've started to rely on their backs a little bit more, him and, him and, uh, and James Cook. But they're fairly reliant on one guy, and that's Josh Allen. And the one thing I trust about Lou Anarumo is if you're fairly one-dimensional, he's going to stop you. Um, see Mahomes, comma, Patrick. I mean, for whatever reason, he's got he's had their number because he's taken some things away that, that he likes to do. And I just – in Lou, I trust. And I'm, I say that despite the score I'm about to give you. Um, 
because I yeah, it's still still Josh Allen's going to make unscripted plays and Stephon Diggs is going to make some plays, etc. And they're going to score some points in this game, make no mistake. But I, the Bengals are on a roll right now. I mean, they they just played two games, Rick, in which they only played well for a half in each on the road against two teams desperate to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. And they still won those games on the road. And now with all the juice behind you, you're home on a Monday night and the juice of what the crowd should be like. Evan McPherson gets it right, man. He hammers one from 52 at the buzzer, at the gun, however you want to say it. Uh, Bengals 30, Bills 27. Oh, my God. We are on the same path today with this. That's it. I was going to say the exact same thing. With all the talk about Evan McPherson, we are going to get a last-minute drive out of Burrow capped by a 50-plus yard yep. field goal by McPherson here in this game. I totally agree with you. I was going to go Bengals 27. Bills 24. So uh same three point spread here. And it's Bengals in the over for me. Same issue. Bengals have covered not just one skinny. The Bengals have covered seven straight games heading yeah. into this one. Uh, to me, they're the hottest team in the NFL. And, and that scares me some because there is a regression to the mean, right? right. It just is. But I, I but there's also a they're playing better than anyone else in the league right now, and it's hard to pick against them. Factor. Yeah, exactly. At home on a Monday night. I mean, all those things. All right, Skinny, let's get into a quick little breakdown here for people who might be wanting to get into the sports betting or at least try it out as it it gets legalized here in Ohio next week. I think the best way to go about this is, first of all, just laying out how you go about reading the spread, figuring out favorites versus underdogs. Walk us through that when you go and you, you see the numbers next to teams' names and the total really quickly. Can you give us a, a quick walk through there? Yeah, so for for when you see, we just talked in terms of spread. So let's let's use the Ohio State line as an example. Um, Georgia is right now a six and a half point. It'll say Georgia minus six and a half. That's the that's what Georgia has to win by more than six and a half points to cover. Um, if you take the other side, you're taking Ohio State plus six and a half, and you need Ohio State to stay with within that number. Um, I just talked about buying points. I'm not going to get complicated there because I buy points a lot of times and it changes the the juice value of it. Now, there's another thing you're going to look at. You'll see a bigger number, which is the total we just talked about. I, I What was the total in the Ohio State game, Rick? 62 and a half. So, yeah, you'll see um, a, a, a thing that says O, 62 and a half, or U, 62 and a half. That means you're taking the over that number between the two teams' combined points to go over the number, or you're taking the U, which is you're taking that you think the two teams are going to combine to go under that 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 total of the number. There was also a thing called money line, and you'll see probably what what, what do you think six and a half is, Rick, on the money line, like minus one eighty. So the actual money line for that game is minus two sixty five. Okay, so let's let, let's just use a, let's use a round number of minus two sixty because it'll be easier. So so that that means you can take Georgia um, at minus two sixty. There's no points involved. You're just taking Georgia to win, but. The minus 260 is you have to lay $260 to win $100. Now, you also, if you win, you'll get your $260 back. Um, I've, I've heard people sometimes go, well, that sounds stupid because you're you're, you're only going to get 100 No, you're going to get your original wager back. Um, or in this case, probably for most of us that are listening to this, you're betting $26 to win $10. Now, the flip side is if you like Ohio State enough to say, ooh, Ohio State's, I think they're going to win. I don't need points. That's probably what, plus 220? 25. All right, so let's just use round number 220. In this case, you're betting Ohio State at plus 220. It means you have to, you're going to win $22 for every $10 you bet. Or in the case of the way they do this, they do it on $100 increments. If you put up $100, you're going to get $220 back plus your original $100. So you get $320 back. 
So th- those numbers are interesting. Just know that um, when you when you're oh, wow, they're, they're gonna, this team's going to kill the other. That's fine. You can do it. Now you may have to put up a hundred dollars to win two dollars in, in the case of of some of these giant money line spreads that, that you can see sometimes in basketball, uh, etc. And sometimes even in football season, you'll see some of these giant ones. Um, so just be be wary of that. Um, I, I, do you want to get into teasers and parlays and all that, or no? I I, I was going to bring up a, a quick parlay thing here, but uh, just to just to recap really quickly, the kind of really important information if you're if you're a total newbie here is if you see the minus next to the number. That means the team's the favorite. Yes. If it's the plus, they are the underdog. And like you said, that that number means that's what you have to stay within. So if it's minus six and a half, you have to win by more than that. If it's plus six and a half, you have to stay within six points. The half point it eliminates the possibility of a tie or in betting it's called a push. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's really the, the key there. And then, of course, the money line like you talked about. Um, can, can get a little bit more confusing when you're talking about the, the different juice there. But uh, the other thing that you'll hear us talk about a lot on this podcast is a parlay. And sometimes we we bring up teasers, too. That's a little bit more complicated. Let's just go over a quick parlay because I think that's a little bit easier to understand off the top here. And And really, Skinny, all a parlay is is more than one bet combined right yes. that's the easiest way to explain it yeah and if you need to you can probably go find a cheat sheet of, of of the odds of a parlay so if you take a two-team parlay where you both you both both parts of the parlay have to hit to win um so that's what makes it hard to hit parlays and and, and i will tell you i i have separate bank rules for straight bets and parlay bets and parlay bets to me are really honestly more fun small bets you know you can try to turn five dollars into a hundred you know for a weekend you can get by if you want to parlay you know four or five different parlays for 20, 20 bucks total, you can probably do that. And, and and again, do this for fun. You're not going to make money doing this. I promise you it's, it's more for fun and entertainment. That's why, you know, parlays can be fun because you're not outlaying a whole lot of money, but you get a chance to, to win a chunk if you can hit it. But if you're really serious about this, you probably need to make only a handful of straight bets at a time and and, and do it in, in, in small increments of what your total bankroll is. The, the general consensus is whatever your bankroll is, if it's a hundred dollars, um, you know, 2%, 3%, 5%, you know, $100 isn't much of a bankroll. So you probably need your bankroll to be bigger than that if you're going to do it. Um, th- that's probably the best route to do it. Um, and and as, as you win, if you can add on to the original bankroll, well, then 2% of whatever, 3% of whatever that total is, is going to make the bet be a little bit bigger, but it will make your bankroll last a lot longer. It will allow you to not sweat out having to have a bunch of bets out on, on a weekend. Trust me, back in my day, I sweated those out. I don't do that any longer. So it, it, and I feel like I'm in a much better place. Trust me. Um, but yeah, so parlays, uh, a two-team parlay is about the odds. You get about 2.5, 2.5 to 1 odds back. So if you bet $10 and your parlay hits, you'd get about 25 bucks back. A three-team parlay is 6 to 1 odds. So again, $10 would get you about 60 back. A four-teamer is 10 to 1. A five-teamer is 20 to 1. You probably have read online occasionally – some guy hits a 14 teamer out in Vegas and wins a bunch of money. Again, if you're going to do something that goofy, do it for five to 10 bucks and just hope you catch lightning in a bottle. That's about the only thing for it. I usually will do on a weekend, three or four, four or five team parlays. My goal is to hit one of those every two or three weeks. And then I'm solvent and, and good to go there, but they probably aren't the way to go unless you're just doing it for fun. And as I mentioned, you can t- try to turn a little into a lot, you know, if, 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 if you feel like, hey, I, I'm not, I don't, I just want to do this for fun, and I want to bet twenty bucks a weekend. Parlays are probably the way to go. But if you're serious about it, you put a bankroll together, manage your bankroll appropriately. 
Yeah, I think the way I compare parlays is to some of my horse racing friends who don't really bet sports. Parlays seem to give them more of that horse racing experience where you're just doing it for one weekend while you're maybe in town or something like that. And you want to have long odds on stuff. You want to have some action on multiple games and have long odds. Parlays are a good way to do that. You can say, well, now I'm interested in both of these games that are happening at the same time. There's two games on at noon. I'm going to bet on both teams in a parlay to win. So I'm interested in both games and my odds go up a little bit and I'm only throwing down a little bit of money on it. So and it's, the, the truth of it is, I mean, if you're putting together a three team parlay um, and you feel really good about those three teams and you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're putting, I don't know, putting $40 to win $240 in a three team parlay. Truth be told, you're probably better off doing, you know, three $13 bets, one on each each game, because if you go two and one, you're going to win money. If you go two and one in a parlay, you're going to lose all your money. So exactly. um, those it's odds- a hard way to keep your bankroll. And, and if keep, that's what you're worried about. Keep in mind this. So I'm 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 in a in a in a it's not a league. There's a it's a contest. We only put 25 bucks in, but I got a chance to win a grand out of this. So we pick five NFL games each week uh, against the spread. Any five we want. I'm in second place. There's like 250 people in it. I was in first place for a while. Just to give you give you an example, I am fi- I've won 51 games through through 17 weeks. I I am literally uh, averaging three uh, three wins a week out of the five games, which is 60. percent And Rick, you'll agree with me on this. If you're hitting 60, percent you're doing a hell of a job. You are not going to win 80 percent of your bets, people. I mean, you, to, to to make money, you need to win a little over about 55 percent, and that's hard to do. Trust me. Trust me. I have grinded my way to winning 60 percent of of my selections, and I feel it's like if you'd have told me I, I'd have won 60 percent 17 weeks into the season, I would tell you I'm in first place. Another guy's got three more wins than me. He's been outstanding. He's at about 64 percent. That's a crazy high number to hit on. Trust me professionals that make their living off of gambling hit at about a 57 or 58 percent clip yes so that those are the best of the best it's it's not a thing where you're going to clean up at this truthfully truthfully and i say this as somebody that, that had issues back in my day do it for fun yeah finally where and how to place bets the the easiest part of this there are going to be betting kiosks in multiple places, you can get a list of those if you look around online, uh, a few different restaurants. I think there are going to be some Kroger stores with betting kiosks in them. So if you want to go in and do it like you're actually in Vegas or you're at uh, at the horse racing uh, track and, and you, you want to actually get your ticket and see it, feel it in in physical copy, that is how you do it. You want to go to one of those kiosks. But the easiest way to do it nowadays is you can download an app. There are several of several of them. Somehow we do not get any sponsorship money from any of them to <laughs> be our, our betting app of choice. But I use DraftKings a lot. I've used Barstool some. I've used FanDuel some. There's BetMGM out there. Uh, there's a new one called BetFred that's uh, taken over locally. Yeah, I, yeah a lot of stuff. And, I, and I would I would Google some that have good good sign up offers to them. They're, yeah, they're, and almost I, I, all of them have some type yes. of deal where you're going to get two hundred, or they're going to match your money, or what have you, in terms of when you initially sign up. Just read the fine print. They're not. They're trying to rope you in to eventually use your own money for this. But keep in mind, they're not just giving you three hundred bucks to take out right away. You have to bet that. Then you can take your winning out. So winnings out. Sometimes you got to roll that money over. I don't want to get too complicated here. Just be just just be aware that that's just not completely free money. It is free money in a way. It's also not free money in a yeah. way. A lot of times it's free bets. Yes. You get to make free bets, but you can't take that money back out. Well, um, you but, get some winnings out of it. Right. And 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 as far as when you're using those apps, 
you, it is geolocation. Yes. So you have to be in the state of Ohio physically, meaning or the state or the state of Indiana. If you're, yeah, you can still correct. go to Indiana. Yes. But you, uh, not, like, you like have to me, actually drive across the river, and it is that good. Like midway across the Ohio River is probably when it will start working for you. Yeah. No. I mean, as a Kentuckian as you are, um, you know, I've got the barstool app, but I, I don't, I can't use it here. I have to go to Indiana in order to use it. And the same thing in Ohio, um, you know, I'll, I'll be in Ohio a lot, obviously for, for, for what I do for work. Um, but yeah, you, you can't all of a sudden go, well, I created my account in Ohio um, and you live in Kentucky. It'll, it'll block you. It'll, it'll unblock you when you get back into Ohio. That's correct. And so, uh, you know, you can, pull over. What I do a lot of times right now in Indiana is I'll pull off into a gas station that's right across the river. I'll make my bets. The other night, there were like 12 other cars doing the exact same <laughs> I thing saying, as that, I was that doing. Cir- that, that Circle K probably goes, why don't we have as much business as we should? Because we got a lot of cars in the lot. Yeah, exactly. Well, they need to put like they need to put some concession stands yes, out in the actual parking lot they because it would do, do crazy business. <laughs> it would do crazy business. Get yourself a Slurpee and a, and a bag of chips while you make your plays. Yeah, no, it really is good. And and it, so you don't have to actually be at a sports book or anything like that. You can just pull out the app once you're across the river, put your bets in like that and, and move on quickly. So hopefully that helps you a little bit. I know a lot of people will have just fast forward right through this and we totally understand that. I don't expect you to sit through that explainer, but there were a handful of people who had asked about it and I don't think they had paid much attention to sports betting prior to the announcement that it was coming to Ohio. So hopefully if you were one of those people that helped you some, but I would encourage you to read up a little bit farther than this. Yeah. So, so our friend Lindsay Patterson on a text message group that I'm in asked the group, uh, I guess it was, yeah, yeah, it was last night said, what should my first legal wager be on, on January 1st? And so snarkily, I replied back "Bet the reds win, un, win total under for 2023. Uh, what, what is that total? Do we know? It doesn't matter to me. I bet it under. I would agree with that. Because it's not going to be less than 60. Correct. All right, let's get into some Ask Any Anything. We'll start with Sule Boom is an elite name. With that in mind, name your starting five all-name team in college basketball. Well, God, Sham God's got to be on there, that, right? That's the number one on the list, without a doubt. Uh, Jizzle James is going to come close when he gets to UC. <laughs> is he not? It's good. It's a good name. I think uh, Covenant Catholic actually played his team yesterday in a tournament. Oh, really? Yep, the Jizz. Um, I don't know why I like this guy's name. He played at Louisville. Was it Mangok Math Gang? That sounds close enough for me. I'm not going to try to pronounce yeah, I, it. I, 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 was, I, I liked his name. Man, it put me on the spot for this. I'm trying to think of some others that were good. Bull Bull. Remember him? I remember Bull Bull. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, any of the NGIs, just because I like the, the the spelling doesn't look anything like you pronounce it. Yeah, that's it's always such an easy pronunciation, but when you sit, see it on paper, it's like, oh no, what am and I going to do with that? And of course, you know who the coach has to it has to be Shashevsky, right? Coach K, gotta have it, gotta have it. Did I did I miss one off the top of my head that I should have gotten? So here would be some of the ones that I really liked. I think these are all personal. It's just which names do you really remember sure. that stick out to you? God Sham God would have been my point guard on the wings. I like Max Hooper. I don't know him. A guy who played play? at Oakland and St. John's. Okay. All right. Uh, there's a guy right now that plays for Fairfield, a forward. His name's Supreme Cook. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It's great. Um, also, uh, a North Carolina forward by the name of Leaky Black. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Leaky Black just sounds like he should be in Peaky Blinders <laughs> on Netflix. And then finally, the big man in the middle from Elon, Chris 
Porn. His last name is Porn? P-O-R-N, brother. How about, the, I think Utah State has a kicker whose last name is Nimrod. <laughs> I swear, if somebody was in a bowl game, his last his kicker's name was Nimrod. Oh, poor kid. That's where you literally, the guy can actually do something good, and you go, nice going, Nimrod. Yeah, uh, that's a little worse than Dicker the Kicker. Dicker the Kicker. Uh, I, I, like that, I like that question. I wish I had a little more time to research it. But yeah, God Sham God certainly came to came to the top of my head. And, and the Bowl Bowl was always my favorite. God Sham God to me is number one of all time, regardless yep. any sport, anything, any period. Yeah. Rappers, actors, <laughs> just the best. There's no, there's never been a stage name or a made up name that's better than God Sham God. Correct. Uh, best sponsored named arena in sports. And why isn't Crypto.com Arena just called The Crypt? Um, it should be called the crook at this stage of the game. Oh, good one. A little Sam um, Bankman Freed. Yeah, exactly. Exa- yeah, exactly. T- take out the FTX t- off the arena and put it on, put it as crooked arena. Um, man, all these have changed names so many times. Uh, Enron, Enron was not a good one either. When it was <laughs> no, that was, that wasn't that a good was, one. That, that didn't, that didn't work out so good. I like Minute Maid Park. That just sounded that sounded refreshing to me. I'm going to Minute Maid Park. You know what one I think is pretty damn good? Great American Ballpark. It is a good one. I'm kind of with you on it that. It sounds like it's it's really just the name, even though it's also a sponsor. That, no, that's right. That's a that's a good call. And you, know, I think I think those are the ones that are best to me because another one that I think is like that is City Field. Yeah, City Field's a good one. Where it's ITI and you're, you're, you're yeah yeah it's the sponsored name, but it sounds good together. Like oh, that's just you know. The city field. It, yeah, it's no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And then one more that I like, and this is sort of that way, but also it, it has a good tie in is, is Coors Field. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the Rockies. Yep. Made with Rocky Mountain spring water. That's right. Tap tap the Rockies. The, the, the mountains are blue. The mountains are blue. It means it's cold. That's right. All right. We've got a, a few Christmas. My, my least favorite beer, by the way, in case you're wondering. Coors. Yes. Yeah. My mother-in-law is obsessed with it. And it's just surprising to me every time I take a sip because they'll have them in their fridge. And I'm just going, God, it's yep, it's it still tastes f- like piss water. It's one of the first beers I had before they actually had Coors Light. My, we lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma for a while. My dad fell in love with it. And so when we moved back here um, and it, when it finally started being distributed here, he would get it. And so that was one of the first beers I, I snuck out of the fridge as a kid. Maybe that's why I ate it. I well, it is easy yeah. to drink. It, it'd be an easy one to drink if you're a teenager because yeah. it's watery. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah. All right, we've got a handful of holiday questions to get to right. here for you. Uh, first, I of love the holidays, as you know. Oh yeah, you're a big holiday guy. What's a proper Christmas dinner, Skinny? I thought my daughter put on a good one. She made a rib a rib roast that was just off the charts. It's kind of prime ribby without completely being prime. It was superb. I mean, spot on. Ham's always kind of cliche-ish, right? But I, I thought that the, the rib roast she made for for Christmas dinner was damn good. Ham is for peasants. Good for her for stepping her game up. That's exactly what we did. We did a rib roast as well. Yep, perfect. Uh, what's the best Christmas cookie? Um, uh, this has been a long tradition in, in our family, um, and we actually give them out to neighbors and friends, and they actually look, they swear to God, they look forward to it. Just simple sugar plum cookies. They're little round sugar plum cookies with confectioner sugar on top. I Just eat, the white balls? No, they, they, they do colored sugar on it. Oh, but okay. It, but yeah, they're, and honestly – I can get a giant glass of milk and just the whole jar. I, I really have to contain myself when it's that time of the year. And I'll give credit anymore. So, so many are made and they literally bag them up on the same day that I get my own little personal bag. That's not very big anymore. And that's, that's, that's my stash. Cause it used to be, I would sneak by 
in the middle of the night when they were laying out cooling and grab because when they come out of the oven hot, oh man, they're stupid good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a tradition and, um, I, I, I stand by that cookie like, like anything. In fact, I'm down to four cookies left. That's it. I used to the, you know, the little white ball cookies with the yes. powdered sugar on them. Yes. I don't know what those are called. Those used to be my go-to, but my wife now has introduced me to a new, I don't even know what you call it, but it's like the ch- this chocolatey brownie type cookie that she makes. And okay. it's phenomenal. Like it's no, I mean, really the best way I can explain it is it's kind of just like a brownie, but it's in cookie form. It's very chocolatey and, and like gooey inside. It's hard to go wrong with Christmas cookies, although occasionally you'll, you'll get, you know, the neighbors are always, we've always been pretty good in this neighborhood, although it's been less and less because most of all our kids are out of, out of, you know, grown up and gone. So there's not as much Christmas cookie giving anymore, but most of our neighbors, we were all pretty good at, at, at the Christmas cookies that were baked at home. Cause sometimes you, you, you know, you'd get, somebody's back in the day and you go Ugh, the Susie down the street made the cookies. Our neighbors were all pretty good at that. Yeah. You, you said it's hard to go wrong with Christmas cookies. I would disagree. I'm not a cookie guy. I think most cookies kind of suck actually. <laughs> so the, uh, there are only a few that I actually like. Hey, I, I'm a weird wolf in this room. I love peanut butter and I cannot stand peanut butter cookies. I would agree with that. I'm a huge, like almost anything else I eat sweets wise is peanut butter but not cookies yeah they're always dry and weird yeah yeah yeah, it just doesn't taste right Uh, if skinny was in a hallmark christmas movie which character archetype would he play (laughs) it's not a hallmark i'd I'd be the grinch for sure in any kind of movie i would be the i'd be the the old storekeeper that nobody trusts and nobody likes and he's mean to all the kids but then he's warm-hearted at the end that's exactly what i was gonna say you would be the the store keep that's all grumpy and pissed off and maybe has a drinking problem not that you do but you could play that role if you had to if you had to i sure could if i had to if you had to you could and then one little kid warms your heart up and you you become a friend of them that's exactly the role you would play and then finally the best and worst new year's eve new year's day memories skinny um so my wife doesn't drink much um, but we went to a fairly formal New Year's Eve party back in our 20s, and she had taken some kind of pill that that was actually medication. Yeah, with, you might want to lead with that next time. Yeah, mixed it with a glass of champagne. Next thing I know, I find her in a bathroom stall. The makeup's all run down her face, and I it, it's the first time I think I've ever, ever had to take her home. <laughs> a little role reversal there yes, on that holiday. Yes, complete role reversal. Do you have any best memories or was that the best memory? <laughs> no, I mean, we, we, we've usually spent it with another family and, and, and uh, go out to dinner and then go back and just kind of hang out, watch a, watch a bowl game or watch a movie and then watch the Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve. And I, I've, I, I'm not a big New Year's Eve guy. I do like to ring it in with, you know, et cetera, but it's not, not, it's not the night to get crazy and get blank face because I can do that any night of the week, to be quite frank. <laughs> It's true. It's uh, it's amateur hour. It's amateur hour. That's how. That's the best way to put it. Yeah, I think we talked about this recently. I'm not. I'm not a New Year's Eve guy at all. And in fact, I would say my best memory was just within the last year or two when we realized we don't need to go out for Christmas or for New Year's Eve anymore. We just get do exactly what you said. Get together with another family for dinner and watch the uh, watch the bowl games. Yep. You you toast a glass of champagne. Good night. You're in bed by twelve thirty, and then there's usually football the next day, and it all it all works out well. Amen. I'm with you on that, brother. That's all I got.
All right, great stuff. Thanks for the question, as always. We'll be back uh, some, well, actually, uh, Monday, actually Tuesday morning, I guess it would be, by the time the Bengals game ends and we do our Bengals postgame podcast. We'll be back with this podcast one week from today. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly co edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.